Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. Listeners who support us every month, either through our website at thebittersweetlife.net or at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast, all receive special bonus episodes, episodes that we don't release to the world at large. Join us as a monthly supporter and get access to shows the rest of the world doesn't get to hear. And keep this show going in the process. There are links in the show notes. This week, I want to thank Marsha and Maria. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. We couldn't do it without you. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. And I'm Tiffany Parks. And today... We're doing a show about sleep, Ah. in part because one of our listeners asked for a show about sleep. That's right. I'll read you the small note. This is from Devaraj. I had uh, written to um, pass on some links to some of the bonus episodes we did since Devaraj is a significant donor to the show. And here's the request. By the way, have you ever done a show on sleep? For example, sleeping behaviors, patterns, quirks, etc., I don't remember listening to any of that topic in your earlier episodes. It's just a suggestion. Feel free to shoot it down. Best regards, Devaraj. Shoot it down. I don't think we have to be <laughs> that dramatic. So it's a good idea. It's a good idea. And uh, we did an Instagram Live the other day, and we mentioned that this was an idea that had been mentioned for a future show topic, and several people who were watching the Instagram Live said, yes, do the sleep topic. So here we are. Sleep is a big deal. I think it's a bigger deal than people give it credit for. Yes. I have heard, and you know, this is not a scientific podcast, so we're not going to be backing up anything that we say with actual studies or facts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just our own experiences and things that we've heard and read, right? (laughs) I have read that sleep is like the cornerstone of health, that it is more important to your health than physical activity and diet. Hmm. And I I believe that. Yeah, I can see that. So... Tiffany's in Rome, by the way. I'm in Seattle, if you're new to the show. Tiffany, I know that sleep's been a little bit more problematic since you had a child, although Mm -hmm. it's getting better in recent years. But I've always thought of you as a pretty good sleeper. Like, you just get it done. (laughs) You just go to bed, go to sleep, sleep through the night, wake up, start your day. Yeah, pretty much. Which has never been how I've been. What is your secret? I don't know that I have a secret. First, let me say, I think that there are techniques and tricks that can help you get a good night's sleep. I really do. And I can give you a few of my own personal tips. I also think that some people, just like some children, you know, just like some babies sleep really well and some babies sleep poorly. Some adults sleep really well and some adults sleep poorly. And I, although you can tweak it, I think, I don't necessarily think I do anything to make myself sleep. Well, I just naturally am a good sleeper. <laughs> You're one of those lucky ducks. Well, you say that you have some tips, so what are your tips? Okay, well, I have done a lot of YouTube studying. <laughs> um, and I've learned from some experts some really good tips. And some of these things are going to sound really obvious. And then a couple of them are kind of odd, like quirky, like you might not think of. So the obvious ones have to do with light. Light makes your body produce serotonin which is your wake-up hormone, and darkness makes your body produce melatonin, which is your sleep hormone. Just like some people being naturally good sleepers and not, I think some people are more sensitive to this than others. Just like some people are more sensitive to caffeine 
and especially blue light, which is the, the light you get from screens. So phones, computers, TVs. Ideally, you want to have all of the blue light off by a minimum of two hours before you go to sleep. Or they say ideally two hours before you go to sleep, a minimum of one hour, no blue light. And I think a lot of people instinctively know that this is true, but they don't make the effort to do it. So I I think it's the light, but I also think as far as phones are concerned, it could also just be the stress of whatever it is that you're looking at on your phone, whether it's work emails or political Twitter or anything that's going to like stress you out before you go to bed. You want to avoid that. Tell us the unusual things, the things that I would not assume to do. Okay, but just let me finish on the light thing. If you're really sensitive to light, some people say like dim all the lights in your house a couple of hours before bed. Some people even go further and put like red lights. They actually don't bother you as far as uh, your melatonin production. So some people put on red light at night. Interestingly too, red light, and I don't know if this is true for the, the common house cat, but red light is a light source that lions cannot see. Really? So... <laughs> So fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Side note, if you ever go on a safari, and a night safari, which I was lucky enough to do, the reason I got to look at a lion up close was because we were in a open air Jeep in the dark with them shining a red light on it. And as far as the lion knew, it was still in the dark. Wow. That is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I love those little tidbits. I told Aurelio yesterday, by the way, I said, do you know that rats laugh? Oh. He said, Really? I was like, yeah, they laugh, but we can't hear it. Explained it to him. Go back to our rat laughter, bittersweet moment. And he was like, I want a rat. (laughs) Now he wants a rat. Yes, changing (laughs) hearts and minds. Get that kid a rat. I'll pay you back for it. No, it's not about the money, Katie. (laughs) Anyway, um, so here's, okay. So apparently one of the things that helps you fall asleep is when heat leaves your body. Mm-hmm. In the moment that you're in the moments, the minutes that heat is leaving your body, it is really easy to fall asleep. So, what you want to do if you're really having a hard time sleeping is take a really hot shower or bath right before bed, like the last thing you do before you go to bed. I mean, not so hot that you're scalding yourself, of Be course. Be reasonable, like, people. Yeah. Be reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> and then get into bed. But here is the trick. You have to not wear socks, even if it's wintertime, and keep your hands and your feet out of the covers because heat leaves your body very easily through your hands and your feet. And so if your feet and your hands are out, that heat that you've had is going to leave your body in a way that is going to help you fall asleep really easily. Mm, That's great. What kind of a sleeper are you? Are you in the full pajamas nightgown with robe the gloves the you know who wears gloves to bed katie i don't know i sleep with neither a robe nor gloves nor a nightcap (laughs) i (laughs) i usually i'm a i usually wear pajamas if it's summertime and hot i mean not now so much that we have air conditioning and my husband is a huge air conditioning fanatic (laughs) despite being italian so in the summertime i usually wear light pajamas but back in the day, you know, probably unched underwear. But in the wintertime, I wear pretty warm pajamas. I don't, I tend to get cold at night. 
I sometimes will deliberately not wear socks, but often my feet are just cold. And since I don't feel like I need that extra step, but I'm not someone who's throwing off the covers and I like to be covered up. And I don't have any animals in my bed as well. I don't know if that makes a difference as far as the temperature of the bed. Sure it does. (laughs) It must. (laughs) Yeah. It's like having two extra bodies warming things up. Two or more, depending on how many pets you have. Right. Yeah. And here's another tip. This is a sort of yoga tip. Lie up against the wall with your feet up against the wall. Mm -hmm. So your legs are like going straight up the wall. And this is supposed to just relax you a lot. So you could do this for five or 10 minutes before going to sleep. Hmm. Of course, there are times when your mind is, I don't know what they're doing up there. It sounds like there's a circus going on upstairs. Um, <laughs> they're always moving furniture at this time of night. <laughs> no, it's the kids. It's the little kids. They're like jumping and running around. Of course, there are times when you have thoughts running through your mind that are so stressful or worrisome that you just can't turn them off. And I mean, I'm wondering, is that what it is? Is that what keeps you awake? Is it a specific thought or is it just you toss and turn no matter what's on your mind? It's usually some sort of thought. Yeah, I suppose. Not necessarily a concrete thought. It can be like one thought leading to another, leading to another, leading to another. It's not necessarily focused on one thing. Your mind is just wandering. It could be all about work. It could be all about personal life. It could be that I'm just uncomfortable. And I'm not up every night. I would not call myself an insomniac. But I do have a tendency to wake up at least once in the night. And and some nights I can easily fall back asleep. And other nights, you know, it takes me a few hours to get back to sleep. Oh, God. A few hours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And usually I don't. Um, I should maybe do the Ben Franklin thing where I get up and just... You've heard of that before where they used to refer to the first and second sleep where people would go to bed when the sun went down. They'd wake up around midnight. They'd sit up and read or write letters from like midnight to two in the morning, then they'd go back to sleep and wake up with the sun. I've often thought that if this is my sleeping pattern anyway, maybe I should be the person that gets up and goes and does something. But generally speaking, I don't. I just lay there and think or I listen to sleep podcasts and, you know, kind of think, well, at least if I can't sleep, maybe if my eyes are just closed and I'm listening to somebody tell a story, it's restful anyway. Mm -hmm. I think you should try getting up, Katie, because... I feel like I have experience with that now because of election night. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, right. Because that's what I did that night. The second sleep was very short. It was only about an hour and a half. But I did the first sleep and I slept from like nine to one. Mm -hmm. And then I was up for several hours. But I could easily have just stayed up for like two hours instead of five or whatever it was. Yeah. And then I managed to go back to sleep. Like you said, if that's your sleep pattern anyway, if there's two hours of work that you can get done that will allow you to sleep two extra hours in the morning and get up at 10 a.m. instead of 8 a.m. or something, why the hell not? Yeah, you probably are right. I think that there really are different types of sleepers. You know, there are the different uh, people who have different rhythms. Circadian rhythms. Circadian rhythms, thank you. Some people are really morning people. And I think that I am deep down a morning person, although when my sleep gets interrupted by Aurelia or something, I I have a hard time getting up in the morning, but I'm very productive in the morning and I'm very cheerful in the morning and I like being awake in the morning, whereas in the evening I'm like, what, who who am I? I got to go to bed. (laughs) You're a total shrew. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
I'm just, I'm just not very awake. Yeah. And then other people, you know, it's the total opposite. They get their best work done late at night. My first boyfriend was like that. He was a composer. He could barely get up by 9 a.m. And he would stay up until like 2 a.m. at least. He would stay up longer if he could. And that was when he did his best work in the middle of the night. That's how I was in college. It was the same way. I was a creative nonfiction writing major, for those of you who don't know. And oftentimes if I had some story due the next day, like I would start it at 6 or 7 or 8 p.m. Or maybe I would have started it a few days ahead of time, but I would really get to work on it at night. I was always a night worker and that has not been the case as an adult no like in my 20s I would I was very awake at night and then as I got older that just started to shift that's very common actually it's very common for teenagers to be night owls and to have a hard time getting up in the morning and it's very common for people who are older to be the opposite to want to get up really early and want to go to bed really early and then in your sort of like mid-adult years you're somewhere in between but I've always really been a morning person. And when I was in college, I remember on two occasions, I had really big papers due, really difficult to write. And of course, I, I procrastinated and procrastinated. And I had done like the outline, let's say, but I hadn't actually written it out. And this happened to me twice. And it was late, but not that late, like 11, let's say. And I remember thinking to myself, there is no way I can do this unless I rest first. The papers were due like at noon, and I set my alarm for like 5 a.m. I went to bed. I put my alarm on the other side of the room with a piece of paper on it that said like, get up, better stay out of bed. <laughs> yeah. And, and I did it. And both times I pulled off really good grades on both of those papers because I was, I passed that like first 15 minutes of grogginess. It's not even 15 minutes. It's like five minutes for me. And then I am just so on fire and with it. I actually listened to this beautiful story it was a modern love story, you know. You know, Modern Love has a podcast and they they narrate these stories. Yes, it's one of the ones I listen to when I'm up in the middle of the night. Ah, okay. Well, this one, I can't remember the name of it, but I'll look for it and then I'll put the link in our show notes. It's beautiful because it's about a girl who, a woman, who her circadian rhythms are such that she goes to bed at like... <sighs> I can't remember. It's totally backwards. It's not just she's a night owl. No, it's way more than that. She goes to bed at like 8 a.m., 8, 9 a.m., and she gets up at like 5 p.m. She's just awake during the night, and that's the only way she can function. But she falls in love with the person who has a normal circadian rhythm, and it's like the struggle of how that they make their relationship work. And yeah, I think that's definitely like, I think for people who are truly insomniacs or feel that they're insomniacs, that's definitely something to look into. Mess around with your sleep schedule. See if going to bed way later or way earlier is easier. Yeah. I just want to do a quick pause from our sleep discussion really quick to remind everybody that tonight is the night. Tonight is the live event with Jim Demain, Dr. Jim Demain, who wrote the book, Facing Death, Finding Dignity, Hope, and Healing at the End. Him and I are doing a live event tonight, 7.30 Pacific Coast time, Monday, November 16th. 7.30. It's going to be a really great discussion. Him and I were talking about some of what we might discuss earlier in the week. And I got to tell you, Tiffany, the more I read this book, the more charming I find it. I just, <laughs> it's just, it's such a good book in the way that it gets you to really contemplate these big issues of death, but does it with great storytelling. Like it's a, 
him just telling little vignettes or stories of actual patients that he had. I would worry that something like that would come across as being morbid or depressing, but he's able to do it with humor. He manages to do it in a way that's both intellectually interesting and it really gets you to think deeply, but it also is entertaining. Wow. Enough of a lightheartedness around it that it makes it less scary and more approachable and more understandable. For instance, in one of the sections I was just reading, it was talking about advanced directives, which when you get to advanced directives, it thinks all heady, all legalese. But it's basically you trying to figure out how do you want the end of your life to look? And the default here is just do everything you possibly can. To prolong your life. Keep me alive. Mm -hmm. Keep me alive. And he makes these cases of like why that is often not a very good idea. When we all get to a point where we die, like the body goes into this shutting down process, you know, and sometimes the medical industry will come in and like give a person who's already dying CPR, for instance. But no, the body is trying to shut down and Mm. here we are trying to jumpstart it again. And then in the process, like maybe break a bunch of ribs and do all the things that CPR can do because it's fairly traumatic. But another way that he would put it would say, well, people always say, well, when I get to that point, I'll think about it. When I get to the end, I'll think about it. And he points out that from his experience, like working in the medical field, generally speaking, in the last two weeks or so of your life, you are no longer able to participate in what's happening to you. Mm. You're just very internal. Mm -hmm. And so if nobody on the external side knows what you want, everyone's just guessing. And so he's kind of making this case, like you want to continue holding the reins on your own life, just like you would in day-to-day life. Like you want to be in control of what you're doing. Your desire for control of what you're doing is not going to end just because you're dying. You don't want a bunch of people coming in and taking over and doing a bunch of stuff that you don't want them to do. Definitely. We're going to cover all of this stuff and more. And everybody should just get this book because it is a really good read and probably a very important read, Facing Death by Jim Demain. One little vignette for you and then we'll go back to sleep. I just love this because, you know, it reminded me of it because um, we're talking about laying in bed. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it just says, A friend related the story of a revered nun who was dying. The fellow sisters were gathered around her bed, singing and chanting. The nun didn't want any of that. Sitting up, she said, Oh, please stop. Please leave me alone. Can't you see that I'm trying to die? (laughs) That's what I'm talking about. He's got a great mix of like funny things and very uh, thoughtful passages. So I highly recommend. And you should definitely come to a night, tonight's event if you can. It's very cheap and it will be fun. And then you can ask whatever questions you want to this medical expert that can answer your questions about death and dying. Yes, I will put a link in our show notes. All right, back to sleep. Curious, like in a different vein, how do you do on planes? Um, Not very well. Can you sleep on a plane? I can, but it's definitely not something I can count on. It's hit or miss for me. My sister is like the, uh, the champion plane sleeper. I, every <laughs> time I travel with her, I, I just think, what gift is this? This is <laughs> it is this an unusual gift to have. But she just has a whole pattern. Like she gets the window seat and she has her little neck pillow and she wears the same white hooded sweatshirt and she puts her sunglasses on and she puts her earbuds in and she can be out before the plane even takes off, I feel. Wow. And can sleep through the whole thing if it's not like a 14-hour flight to Asia or something like that, but sleep through the whole thing. It is an impressive skill that I have never come close to having. That's not to say I have never slept on a plane, but usually if I sleep on a plane, it's because it's a really, really long flight. 
Yeah. It's going through the night. Yeah. I, I'm so uncomfortable on airplanes because, and I'm sure you are too, it's because of our height. Yeah. You know, airplanes weren't made for people who are short. Mm-hmm. The part of the airplane seat that's supposed to go in the back of your neck, like goes in the middle of the back of our head. Yeah. And so it's like impossible to, to relax in those things. I know. And you might not be able to touch the floor properly. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're sitting forward. I always put something under my feet. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I always put my backpack under my feet. Yeah, there's only one. I think I told you my one good story about being short on an airplane. And and it was after a 14, 15 hour flight to Vietnam. And I was with a Vietnamese man who was about my height named Bin, who I used to travel with all the time. And everybody's all cramped up from being flying for so long and we're all waiting to be able to walk out of the plane but we're both on the inside we're both in the window seat but both him and I were standing up straight underneath the bulkheads yeah and he looks over at me and he says hey Katie sometimes it pays to be short (laughs) (laughs) sometimes it does occasionally it's very rare but it's rare but it does speaking of traveling I do have a superpower that is not sleeping on a plane, but I don't get jet lag. Mm. I don't suffer from it. The last three times I've crossed the ocean, I uh, haven't had any jet lag. Wow. Either direction. Not going in either direction? Coming back, it might take me a day. Wow. Going, it takes me like zero time. As soon as I arrive, I'm good. And the crazy thing is Aurelio is exactly the same way. The child does not get jet lag. I've only taken him to the States twice, but both times... He had no jet lag. Wow. I know. That's my superpower. And that's also the reason why I don't worry too much about sleeping on planes. Because I feel like if you stay awake, you're more likely to be able to go to sleep at the right time. If you've been sleeping for nine hours and you arrive and it's nighttime, you're not going to be able to sleep. What would you say um, is the most embarrassing place you ever fell asleep? Uh, I can't think of one. Class, during a concert. No. Mm, One time I almost fell asleep during a movie because it was so boring and I was having to almost slap myself to keep awake because it was a date and I didn't want to be rude. Yeah, I've slept through so many movies. No, I I, I don't usually fall asleep in odd places. I can't even think of one time that I've ever fallen asleep that I wasn't in bed or traveling. Mm -hmm. Where's the most, I mean, that begs the question, (laughs) what's the most embarrassing place you've fallen asleep, Katie? (laughs) Uh, I was thinking when you were saying I've never slept anywhere uh, there was one class in college that was at one o'clock it was right after lunch and I just uh, I just could not stay awake in that class I swear every every single time I went to it I'd be up for the first 15 or 20 minutes and then slowly I'd sink further and further in the desk and just be out but I was not the only one. It must have been very frustrating for the teacher teaching it because right after that lunch hour. I would say the most embarrassing time I ever fell asleep was I was at a friend's house for dinner and we had this really heavy, very delicious, amazing dinner, but huge. And we were drinking a bottle of wine and it was so hot outside, the draining kind of hot. And after dinner, we came inside, brought the dishes in and stuff like that. And she had some kids and she was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be right back. I'm just going to go make sure they're all tucked into bed. And I sat on her couch and just apparently just fell asleep. 
completely the next time i woke up it was like two in the morning and i'm like where in the world am i this isn't my home you were out for like hours yeah i'm like i'm at my friend's house still oh my gosh did i just fall asleep on the couch when she was out of the room that's terrible how awful i can't believe she just let you sleep until two in the morning like i would have woken you i would be like hello like is it time to go home like at a certain point right i know i know and so then of course i'm like well obviously she's asleep now i'm not gonna just leave get up and sneak out of the house but i also had to go i think i had to go to work the next day so i waited until like six in the morning and i heard some rustling and i just went to her door and said sorry i apparently just fell asleep on your couch um that's embarrassing she's like it's no problem and i said all right, well, I've got to go. <laughs> so, sorry. Let's do this again sometime. <laughs> that's funny. That was probably the, just the most embarrassing because it felt so rude. No, that's never happened to me that I can think of. But I just can't understand how you slept <laughs> for so long. Like, I can understand falling asleep for like 20 minutes, half an hour, but like for several hours. Well, I think it was probably pretty late. Oh, it was already late. Might have been like 11.30 p.m., you know, when she... But still, still. that's like three hours. That's crazy. I know. Um, I do have one time... Actually, I have two times where I just truly could not fall asleep. One was before an exam in college. And I think those situations, it's like the later it gets, the worse it is. Yes, because for sure. psychologically, you're like, I need to sleep. Oh my god, I need to sleep. I only have three hours. Oh no, now I only have yeah, two hours. Two hours. Now I only have one <laughs> yeah. hour. Now I only have thirty exactly. minutes. Exactly. So yeah. yeah, the other time that that happened to me, you will probably remember because I saw you the next day. It was the night before my wedding. Yes, I also did not sleep much the night before my wedding. I remember like leaving my bed. So then I went out to the couch. Yep, I did the same exact thing. And I was laying on the couch and I was listening to meditative music. Yeah. That's written by one of our listeners, actually, Mike Wall. Hello, if you're listening. I was listening to your album the night before my wedding. And man, it it usually worked. That album usually knocked me out. But not that night. Not that night. Yeah. See, I had a migraine. I used to get 72-hour migraines. I started getting them in 2014. I stopped getting them when I was pregnant with Aurelio. Thank you, God. One of the benefits. Yeah, it had to do with the bones in my neck and my the vertebrae in my neck were out of line, probably from years and years of standing on my head doing yoga. So it was pinching a nerve. And about every five weeks, I would get a 72-hour migraine. It was excruciating to the point that I could not function. And I got one, as you'll remember, about 36 hours before my wedding. Oh, God, you are kidding me. You are kidding me. This is not okay. (laughs) And I had it all through that, like, you know, the last day, the day before the wedding, the rehearsal dinner. I was having fun. I remember my sister saying, like, why don't you go home and go to bed? Mm -hmm. And I said, I can't. It's my rehearsal dinner. Like, oh, my, you know, my family was there, you know, Mm -hmm. my friends. And anyway, I went home and this is the mistake that I made. The mistake that I made. Well, first of all, I think I did stay out too late. I should have just gone home right after dinner. Uh, instead, we went for a long walk, and we went and had grata queca, and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and then finally went home, but my big mistake was I told Claudio he had to stay at his parents' house because it's bad luck to sleep under the same roof the night before the wedding. And I just wish that I hadn't done that because I think if he had been there, he would have been a very calming presence for me. He would have maybe given me a massage. He would have just made me feel better. Instead, I was in our bed alone, 
like you said, I could not fall asleep. And I also think like I had just been around a bunch of people and all of a sudden I was all alone. And that was a real jarring change. Yeah. And you know, I mean, you're nervous. It's the night before your wedding and... Well, it's exciting. You know, you're thinking tomorrow's going to be so much fun and... Yeah. Yeah, I'm so glad it was an afternoon wedding. All these people that I love are going to be around. And yeah. Yeah. But I did eventually have to go and lie on the couch and take some medicine. <laughs> I eventually did fall asleep at 3 a.m. And I think I was able to sleep. can't remember what time you guys showed up, 8 or 9. So I did get some sleep. But it was, it was definitely not nice to be awake for so many hours the night before your wedding. But just to, just to tell the story that has nothing to do with sleep, just to finish it, my migraines always lasted 72 hours, almost to the minute. I knew exactly when they were going to end. But that day, to be a full 72 hours, the migraines should have passed that night, the night of my wedding, like around 8 or 9 p.m. And I don't know if you remember, but we were in the hotel where the reception was. We were getting ready in the hotel room that I had. And I was lying on the bed having breakfast while you guys were getting your makeup done. I had had my makeup done already, but I wasn't completely ready. It was about noon. And all of a sudden, it was just gone. And Suzanne looked at me and she's like, your eyes are open again fully. Because when I have a migraine, my right eye would always be like half closed because it's always on my right temple. And it just passed three hours before the wedding. And I cannot tell you how happy I was. I don't know if you remember. I was giddy. I was so incredibly happy. As I was getting ready, I was so relaxed. (laughs) And in fact, the makeup people were like, I've never seen a bride so relaxed before. I was like, yes, because my migraine is gone. <laughs> this could have been terrible. Oh, it was such a blessing. Yeah, that's great. Such a blessing. And then, and then, yeah, something happened while I was pregnant. You know, your bones loosen up when you're pregnant. Your hips open up and all your bones sort of just loosen up. And I think my bones just loosened up to the point that they were able to go back into the right order. And I never had a migraine again. Oh, that's great. <laughs> huge benefit that's like when my friend told me that i should i should get pregnant to heal my scoliosis Mm -hmm. because you know i've got lower back issues and i said it seems like a gamble to me (laughs) (laughs) it is a gamble you never know like what if it doesn't work then you have scoliosis and and you don't you have someone waking you up in the middle of the night (laughs) well if you are having trouble getting to sleep One of the podcasts I always listen to when I'm having trouble sleeping is the Sleep With Me podcast. And we were honored to do a crossover episode with them where um, Dear Scooter, the host of that show, took the episode. If you remember the episode we did, we did a virtual walk of Rome. He took that episode and recast it in his kind of mumbling, murmuring way and is kind of acting us out as characters. And... It is an absolute delight to listen to. <laughs> it was so I, weird to listen to. It was so funny because it's exactly the episode, nearly word for word, but but in this kind of sleepy, dreamy <laughs> quality. So find Sleep With Me podcast and find the virtual tour of Rome episode. I, you will not regret it. And you may discover that you found another podcast that actually helps you get to sleep. We'll put the links in the show notes in case you need some help getting to sleep yes to that virtual tour of rome and thanks for the question dave Raj. appreciate hearing from you and appreciate hearing from all of you you can always send us a note bittersweetlife at mail.com or just go to the bittersweetlife.net and send us a note through the contact us page and a lot of you would prefer to talk to us through social media we are on instagram 
Facebook and Twitter at Bittersweet Pod or the Bittersweet Life Podcast. That's about it. Find us on Patreon if you want some bonus episodes. If two episodes a week is not enough, mm-hmm. there's more. There are secret episodes over at Patreon. All you have to do is pledge to support the show at $5 a month or more, and you can hear those. Yeah, they're super fun. Yeah. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Bye. If you love this show, you have the ability to keep it going. There are three things that you can do right now. First, tell a friend about it. Send a text to someone today. Or make a social media post and tag us. Second, write a review on Apple Podcasts. If you need help doing it, just ask us. Third, vote with your dollars. You pay to visit a museum. You pay to rent a movie online. If you get some enjoyment from this show, become a patron at patreon.com slash thebittersweetlifepodcast or donate at our website, thebittersweetlife.net. Thank you for taking action. Talk to you next week. Bye.